I'm going to get your Bibles out and turn to Isaiah 26. That's where we're going to be studying from this evening, uh, continuing our study of this book. Isaiah is rich with uh, some gold inside and some texts that are very clearly pointing to the Messianic kingdom. Uh, and I'm excited to enter into another chapter that has a lot to do with that. So I'm really looking forward to our study. Uh, as you could probably tell by the wonderful song selection uh, and by the title slide, our discussion tonight is going to be about peace. And as we think about peace, uh, I wanted to bring before you Proverbs 17, verse 1, that says, Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. It's the idea that it's better to have less, it's better to um, maybe struggle to get by, but have peace than it is to have strife and contention and to have plenty. Uh, peace is valuable, and I think that's something that's an important idea for us to grasp in our lives. Maybe some of us get that more than others. Some of us might be wired in such a way that we're constantly looking for times and periods of peace and solitude. Uh, and maybe others of us enjoy the, the hunt, enjoy the competitiveness and the, the struggle and the stress and striving and all of that kind of stuff. But after a while, we get burnt out, and we really do enjoy some peace every now and then. Uh, peace is valuable. It does uh, help us to reset. It does help us to recharge. It does calm us and, and give us a sense of uh, you know, willingness to do more. Until we have peace, sometimes we're not willing to move at all. Uh, we need to just stay put for a little while. Uh, and we're unable to move and unable to function without a little bit of peace. Well, as we open up to Isaiah chapter 26, we see a chapter that itself was mentioned so many times in the songs. I wish we could have studied these texts and then sang the songs because the songs are like stealing from Isaiah 26 over and over and over again. Um, this is a chapter that's full of an idea that God is a God of peace, a God who wants to grant us with peace that passes understanding. Uh, as we read about in the New Testament. So as we come into Isaiah 26, you're going to get that same kind of feel and maybe a little bit more understanding, hopefully, as we study this about how we can attain greater peace in our lives. Because uh, that's a good thing. Because that's something that we all need. Uh, and if you're, if you're dealing with struggles and anxieties and fears and doubts in your life, then you need this more than, than anybody. Uh, so let's, let's look at this together. Notice the first verse, it says, In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock, for he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust, the foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. He's going to continue in this psalm, but let's pause right there and consider what this song is about as it has now been introduced to us. You could just imagine a city. Uh, that is fortified, that, is, uh, that no one is going to come into. It is impenetrable. And those who live within it are going to have and experience a lot of peace, right? I mean, no one and nothing can enter in and no one and nothing can conquer them. Well, that's what he says that the followers of God have. 
uh, a city of uh, walls that will not be torn down, walls that cannot be penetrated. But what's amazing is, he says, that it, this is a city that's walls uh, are made up of salvation. What does that material look like? I mean, how, is that, how does that work? Well, this is talking about a city maybe without walls. Other, other parts of the Old Testament depict a, a city that God is setting up for his people uh, that is a city without walls. Uh, and the walls of the city are God. God is the wall. And so no one and nothing can enter in that God doesn't want to enter in because God is the one who provides the protection. God is the one who sees the army coming from far off and provides the extermination of the army that comes up against his people. And so this is the most valuable uh, establishment, the most valuable city that anyone could ever come into and find their dwelling. And so that's what Isaiah is trying to depict as he says, this is the song that will be sung in that day in the land of Judah. And that day is a common phrase that would refer to the messianic day, the messianic kingdom. And as he's talking about this, you see the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in to this nation. That's not Israel. Uh, that's never been Israel, the, that they would be called the righteous nation that keeps faith. So here we have depicted the city that the righteous, the faithful, those who are putting their trust in God are allowed to enter in and, and find uh, security. Notice in verse 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. These are, these are really interesting ideas. You keep him in perfect peace. Has anybody ever been in perfect peace? <laughs> uh, do you know what that's like? Uh, maybe whenever we're children and we're innocent of the dangers that are around us, we're in blissful ignorance and we're in perfect peace as we're in la-la land and imagining all these things that we want to imagine and nothing's ever touched us, nothing's ever hurt us. But as life goes on, perfect peace is not something that's easy to come by. Uh, there are always things that are, are weighing on us, things that we're hearing about, things that we're, we're faced with in life that we have to deal with. And yet he says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. There's an idea here that we can attain perfect peace by having our mind and our, our, our thoughts focused not on this life and the consequences of the actions that take place here and the external circumstances that we face on a daily basis, but by having our mind and our eyes fixed on God on what God is able to provide us. He says, trust in the Lord forever. And he describes God as an everlasting rock. God is described as this rock, this, this uh, immovable object that is unbreakable. And he says, you must trust in him. He is never going to break. He's never going to change. He will always be who he is. And you can trust in him. If you enter into the city, you know no one and nothing can, can touch you. No one and nothing can destroy you. You're safe. 
And at the end of this section, he talks about those who are of a lofty city. And you get this picture of people who are high and mighty. They've got their, their own set up. You know, they've got their own walls constructed. They've got their own, you know, missiles uh, and, and everything all loaded up. And they're ready to protect themselves. And he says, uh, he lets the poor trample them. They think that there's something. They think that they have the power, that they have the skill, that they have the wisdom and the knowledge, and yet they cannot stand against God. So all of this is showing us that uh, there's a song to be sung in this new kingdom. For all those who trust in the Lord, they have peace, perfect peace, in knowing that God is their rock. So how can we demonstrate this kind of trust in our lives? That's what we need to be thinking about and considering as we live every day. How can we show that we have this kind of trust in our lives? As different events unfold in our lives that are unnerving and unsettling, whether it's just a small, insignificant thing that just eats away at us, or it's something big. Something that we didn't see coming, something that shatters our, our current situation and wrecks the, the comfort that we've been enjoying. How do we learn to demonstrate this kind of trust in our lives whenever those types of things come? How do we really feel like we're in a city that cannot be destroyed? How do we face all of those issues, and not have anxiety that is overwhelming us. Well, that's where the song goes. Notice verse 7, it says, The path of the righteous is level. You make, the, you make level the, the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. O oh Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. And let the fire for your adversaries consume them. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. O Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone will bring to remembrance. They are dead, they will not live. They are shades, they will not arise. To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. But you have increased the nation, O Lord. You've increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. Now, there's a lot there, and it kind of seems all over the place. So let's try to zone in and understand what he's talking about. First of all, he says the path of the righteous is level. Now, you think about that. Uh, if you're going to go out for a walk or a bike ride or something like that, uh, and then all of a sudden you, you realize that that car you've been driving has really handled these hills really well for you. Uh, and, and, you know, whenever you're going downhill, it's kind of comfortable. You're just sitting there and the car's just coasting down the hill. But whenever you're doing it in a bike or whenever you're walking and that hill is steep, you feel it. And we know what that's like. 
And so he's talking about path in the sense of our lives. And he's saying the path of the righteous is level. Now, if you're going to go out for a walk, you probably, if you're doing it for the first time in a long time, you probably want it to be pretty level. You probably don't want to have a bunch of heels. Uh, that's a lot of work, maybe, that you're not ready for. But level means your life is even keel. It means there's not a lot of really high times, but there's not a lot of really low times. There's not a lot of mountains that you have to climb up and a lot of hard things to overcome. And there's not a lot of valleys where things have just gone horribly wrong. And you're in the valley of the shadow of death. And so he says the path of the righteous is level. Now that's odd, because if you're righteous, if, you, if you've tried to serve God, you know life is not always even kill. In fact, life is rarely even kill. Uh, but notice, and, and we all have highs and lows, but notice what he says. The path of the righteous is level. He says, you make level the way of the righteous. So it gives you the sense that as we're climbing a mountain, God is chipping away at it, trying to level it for us so that it's not so hard. As we're down in the valley, God's adding dirt to kind of get us up back on the level surface where we desire to be. And so there is a picture here of God providing for those who are his people and helping their, their lives to become better in some way. It's not as though we never have any troubles, but it's as though the troubles are made less by God's working in his providence. Notice he says in verse 8, In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. So there's, he's, he's pointing out the path of the righteous is in the path of God's judgments. The path of the righteous is in a path where you're focused on doing the will of God. And he says, we're there and we're waiting for you. Why are we waiting? Because the path's not level. <laughs> because it's become really hard and we're waiting for you to help us. And he uses a, a phrase here that he's going to repeat throughout the rest of this uh, chapter. He says, the, in the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. O Lord is going to kind of become a repetition throughout this. Uh, he says, we're waiting for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. He has, he's, he's just, we're waiting, we're focusing on you as life gets hard, as things get difficult. We're just, we're waiting for you to provide the peace that you have said that you will provide for those who are yours. You see how that's trust. That's the trust that he's saying we must have. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Whenever life gets difficult, whenever there's mountains in front of us, whenever there's valleys that we find ourselves in, trust means waiting in the path of God's judgments. Waiting while doing the right things. Doing the things that we know God would want us to do. And after he talks about this, he moves to the wicked. He says in verse 10, If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly. Here's a picture of a, a man who decides to pursue a life of wickedness. And he says the person who's pursuing that life isn't learning anything. He goes through trials and tribulations, and he doesn't learn righteousness. He just he does what's wicked. And he thinks that he's okay, but... In the end, you see the result, the destruction. He says uh, he does not see the majesty of the Lord. Now, the first thing, uh, if you want to see the majesty of the Lord, you need to wait in the path of righteousness. That's where the Lord is. And that's a statement. God is going to level the path. God is going to provide. And he says, for the wicked who has left the path 
God is not providing for him. He will not see the Lord working in his life. Then he says, uh, O Lord, your hand, verse 11, is lifted up, but they do not see it. In other words, God's about to strike you. He says, let them see the zeal of your people and be ashamed. Let them change. But then he says, let the fire of your adversaries consume them. A picture of protect us from them. God, you're, you're our, we're, we're your city. You've promised protection. Protect us from them as the wicked do not learn righteousness. Then again, verse 12. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us. For you have indeed done for us all our works. Again, he points to peace and he says, you're going to bring it. You're going to bring peace for us. But then he says something really cool. He says, you indeed have done for us all our works. Isn't that an odd thing to say? He says, you're going to give us peace because you have done everything good that we've done. <laughs> you see in that the humility that they are the poor, that they are the ones who are going to trample the high and mighty. They don't look at themselves and think about how righteous they are. They think about how wonderful God is. And they say, you're the reason why we have all the gifts we have. We just did a series on uh, different gifts that we've all been given. And we brought up that, the point that whatever gift we have has been given to us by God. And we ought to act like it is. Uh, so here we see the righteous waiting in the path of righteousness and, and waiting in the path of God's judgments and recognizing that God is the one who's provided them with everything and trusting that he is going to give the peace that he has promised. Then he says, uh, verse 13, O Lord our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone will bring to remembrance. They are dead, they will not live. They are shades, they will not arise. He points to the eternal nature of God and how nothing and no one comes close. God is sovereign. God is in control. And this is the main thing that he remembers. In order to trust in God, he remembers, God, you are the one who is in control. You are the one who is eternal. Everyone else is trusting in someone who is going to die, but I trust in you because I know that you are the one who lives. And then he says, you are the one who's increased our nation. He looks at all the blessings and he says, you're the one who's provided it. So overall, this song is just constantly in this section really pointing to God's ability to save. And saying, we're waiting for you, we're trusting in you, we're believing in you, we're not being distracted by all the wicked people around us that are pursuing their wickedness, but we're relying on you to provide us with this peace that you have promised. And now let's look at the last section, verse 16. O Lord, in distress they sought you. And he's talking about uh, the wicked. They sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pains. When she is near to, to giving birth. So were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for the dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. 
Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain. Notice in this last section, he kind of points to God's deliverance, that God is going to provide the salvation. And he starts with this picture of uh, those who are wicked are praying to you whenever your discipline comes upon them. You ever known anybody like that? Uh, Life, they've been trusting in themselves, they've been doing all kinds of wickedness and not living in the path of of God's judgments. And then things get hard and they whisper a prayer, oh God, please help me. Not really trusting, not really expecting anything. And he says, that's not going to result in anything. But he doesn't just say that, right? Uh, He uses a vivid image. I want you to picture a woman who's pregnant and in labor. Uh, and that's a graphic picture, right? Uh, and, and those of us who've been in the room with that, it's a very, very unsettling thing. It's a lot of pain, a lot of work uh, to, to have a, bring a baby into this world, okay? Uh, and there's a lot of, of effort that goes into that. And he says, this is what you're like. You're like a woman who's about to give birth and you've labored so hard. And in the end... There's nothing but wind. All of that work, all of that effort is for nothing. He says, this is what it's like whenever you choose to deliver yourself. You don't save yourself. In the end, the enemy is able to come up against you and destroy you. You set up your own battlements. You set up your own fortress. And it was unable to stop the enemy that comes up against you. You're going to die. No, everybody's going to die if that's the, that's the method. And notice in verse 18, he says, We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. This has been a song of those who have been saved, whose salvation is God. And yet here he transitions from those wicked people. They're trusting in themselves and they're like a pregnant woman in labor for nothing. And he says, we are the wicked people. We've all done this. We've all sought to establish ourselves. Verse uh, 18 continues. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. We couldn't save ourselves. It was useless. It was fruitless. All of our efforts were for nothing. But then he says in verse 19, kind of a turning of fortunes, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. What does that sound like? That's resurrection language. He talked about that in the last one, that there would be a conquering of our greatest enemy, a conquering of death. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. I love how he uses that same image of a fruitless birth, and now he says, here's the fruitful birth. Why is there a fruitful birth? Because God is the one who's able to defeat the greatest enemy. Again, he's able to defeat death. God is our hope. God is our salvation. 
We can trust in him to provide the salvation that we're looking for in whatever it is. So, and and this, is a, this is a statement of our end, at the end of our lives. After we die, we're resurrected. God has the power over death. But also this could be seen as a statement of God providing the level path. If you're in the valley, if you're, you're close to death, as David is on numerous psalms, you don't trust in yourself to get out of it. But you trust in the Lord. Because he's able to bring from death to life. And I think that's a very important picture and image for us to see. And the last two verses here point us back to the beginning idea that he had for us of this wonderful city. And it's an invitation, isn't it? Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. You want peace? Here's the invitation. Come on in and find security and find peace from the storm. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will not cover no more cover its slain. You see in this an invitation of God to say, come on into the city, come on in and find my perfect peace and security in knowing that I am able to provide the protection that you're looking for. But you need to come in and you need to receive it. He's able to provide that protection and then I love the picture, he's coming out to, to deal with those who are coming up against you. You're not delivering yourself God is doing it for you. So let's talk about uh, this, this whole chapter. It's, a, it's really a, like a song. Uh, and, and understanding the main point of it. First of all, uh, where are we looking for deliverance? Whatever situation it is, where do we go for deliverance? You got job issues. You got marriage issues. You got parenting issues, school issues, health issues, whatever's going on in your life. Where are you going for deliverance? If you're like me, the first response is not always prayer. For the longest time, it was never prayer. (laughs) And now I'm weaving prayer in a whole lot more often than I ever have. But for the longest time, it was self-reliance. I was thinking about what I could do, how I could fix my problems. And you see how that's what he's saying here is self-reliance is, is destroying our peace. And it's leading us to anxiety. It's leading us to stress. It's leading us to unrest. Our life is miserable, not because God's not able to provide us with peace, but because instead of turning to God for peace, We're turning to ourselves to find peace. We're turning to ourselves to level the path. And we can't do it. We're limited. And we can't control life. Life is unpredictable. We don't have sovereignty, in other words. 
like we often might think we do, like the world around us almost assumes we do or tries to convince us we do. We don't have the ability to control things. We don't have the ability to stop things. No amount of worrying, no amount of thinking, no amount of stressing, no amount of crying is going to fix the problem that we're facing, whatever it is. Our labor is fruitless. We're going to spend all this time and all this effort working and trying to fix all of our problems. And we're going to receive wind. And nothing's going to be changed. All the while, God is here calling. Desiring for us to come in and to find a feeling of peace and knowing that he sees the problem. And he wants us to come in to feel secure in his province. To know that he is our wall. That he provides security from our enemy, whatever and whoever our enemy is. And he is able to providentially work in whatever situation we're in to level the path so that we can go back to living life in a way that's manageable again. That's what this whole chapter is trying to convince us of. That there is hope in God alone. And so if we're going to learn a lesson from this chapter, we need to see that our mission on this earth is to wait in the path of righteousness for God to provide the deliverance that he has offered. He offers us peace. We should be expecting it. We should be desiring it. We should be looking for it. That's faith. That's what faith really is. And so if you're wanting to find peace in this life, we have to trust in the promises of God. He's not an imaginary friend. He's not uh, someone that we like to think exists but doesn't really exist. He's not someone who is ineffective and unable to do anything to impact anything in our lives. The world is telling us that. The Bible tells us something very different. And if you want to experience and to see the majesty of the Lord, then you're going to have to learn to trust that he does what he says he'll do. We all need to accept the invitation that he offers to enter into the secure city, uh, to, to uh, huddle down and wait for him to provide the protection whenever things are really, really bad in our lives. And I love verses 8 and 9. I kind of breezed over them because I wanted to go back and look at them. Let's look at those verses again. Verse 8 says, In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. You see that Isaiah here is calling for us all to have a deeper desire in our spirits for God. In the struggles of life, there should be within us a desire for God that is just growing and growing and growing. And, and it's this feelings of, I've relied on myself in the past. I know that that gives me nothing but wind. 
And I know what you've promised me. And I want you to deliver the promise you've made. I want you to give me the peace. The peace that is, it has nothing to do with my circumstances, but it has everything to do with knowing that I'm a child of yours, no matter what happens in this life. The peace that lets me know that you are, you are aware of my situation and that you're able to level my path and make life manageable again. Don't you want that peace? I sure do. Um, life has been level for me for a while, but we all know that that's temporary and life has its ups and downs. Uh, and maybe right now you're in a valley or you're, you're climbing up a mountain that's, that's really steep. Uh, and I want you to know that God sees and God understands. And we all together, because we are in this kingdom that he's talking about right here, we all can trust that God is going to provide help in our struggles. I hope that's encouraging for you. Uh, I know that as a congregation, we have our struggles. Uh, we have our ups and downs in life. Uh, times and periods when things aren't going so well and things get discouraging. But we'll just keep focusing on trusting in God. Keep praying for his wisdom and his guidance. Keep praying for his help and, and looking for him to work as he's promised. If you're here tonight and you've not been trusting in God uh, and you're going through something and you want to just give it to him, then I hope that you'll do that tonight. If you need to let us know and you want us to pray for you too, uh, then you're really trusting in God. You're opening it up and allowing all of us to reach out and beseech God and have him act in your life to bring about the transformation that you're looking for. And we'd love to do that. Uh, if you're not yet a child of God, then you're not allowed in the city. And that's the only place that we can find peace. And you must make that decision to put on Christ and receive the sacrifice, the sacrifice that he offers you, the salvation that comes and that provides us with protection. And we want to help you with that if that's your case. Please let us know. Please come as we stand and as we sing.